Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. what it says next in the scripture. According as his divine power hath given, past tense. Say it's already mine. Unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Everything that you need for this life and everything you need to live godly in this life is already yours. And so if it's something you need in this life, it's yours already. See, what you do is when you spend time with God, you get the strategy how to get it manifest. It's not like you're trying to convince God to give it to you. It's yours. What you need to get your bills met is yours. What you need to enjoy your life is yours. What you need to prosper is yours. What you need to be at peace is yours. What, are your, what you need to live fulfilled, it's yours. Everything you need to live godly in an ungodly time is already yours. He gave it to you by his power. Say it's already mine. Do you know how frustrating it is trying to get something that you already got? Think about this, think about this, whatever one of your favorite objects is and you wanted to go get it, but you didn't realize you already had it at your house and you're going looking everywhere for it, trying to find it. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? You already got it. And so there's so many things God has already given us, we just have to change how we think about it. Now notice how you got it or how you have it, how he gave it to you. There's that phrase again, through the knowledge of him. Once again, it's through the knowing. It's through the relationship. So many people try to live holy with no relationship. And their holiness becomes harsh. Or their holiness becomes self-condemnation. And they hate themselves. They'll put on the holy face, say hallelujah, and do all the stuff they're supposed to do. But they hate themselves because they're trying to keep a list of rules with no relationship. And when they fail, they're depressed. And they beat themselves up. And if they don't think they can keep a holy face on, they don't go to church. You can't live holy as he is holy without him. The only way you can live holy is through relationship with him. An ever-growing relationship with him. That's the only way you're going to be able to live and fight off temptation successfully. That's the only way you're not going to give in to sin and deception in this world. is through your relationship with him. He has called us or invited us to glory and virtue. We talked about this invitation last week. You can accept or decline an invitation. It's your choice. We talk about how some of us have creative ways of getting out of stuff. 
Someone's like, hey, you want to hang out special? You introverts, you have some of the most creative ways to get out of going places. Can any introvert say amen to that? See, yeah. Creative ways. All of us have creative ways to get out of places we just don't want to go. And because a lot of us, you know, grew up in the Southern culture, we find creative Southern ways to say it. Don't look at me like that. You say, it's the truth. You might start with, bless your heart. That really doesn't mean God blessed their heart. There's a whole different connotation connected to that. And we might say, well, you know, my spouse really needs me. And your spouse looks at you and I need what? Just, just go with it. It's like, the baby needs me. The baby looks content. Oh, that was the baby, not me. Let's go. We have creative ways to get out of invitations. But I want to make sure you don't do that to God, who's invited you to glory and virtue. Now, the thing is, when you just say invited to glory and virtue, well, that sounds nice. Let me give you what that means. This word for glory here is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Shekinah, which is the manifested glory of God, his magnificence, his majesty, his splendor. The Shekinah glory of God is what was on the mount, the Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. The Shekinah glory of God was what was seen in Solomon's temple. Whenever you would see in the scriptures where the glory of God would appear with the bright cloud, the light, the fire, the smoke, the wind, the noise, that was the Shekinah glory of God. And notice, you've been given an invitation to that. But also this word virtue is the intrinsic eminence or God's inherent excellence and fame connected with the manifestation of his divine power. That's what you've been invited to, through the glory and the power of God. You've been invited to get close to his majesty. Because sometimes we forget that especially in a Western culture and our understanding of God, that he is God. He's God. He is the majestic one. Now, if you've ever been in the presence of royalty, there's a way that you behave yourself and carry yourself. And when you go into some of those old places and you see the throne rooms, you see the majesty of that room because the majesty of that room is supposed to reflect the majesty of the monarch. Sometimes we've forgotten how majestic our God really is. Now, yes, he is our Heavenly Father. Yes, he is our Savior, but he is God. He is the creator of everything. And when you read how he's described in Isaiah by the glory around his throne, and you read in the book Revelation how the glory is described, you're invited to get close to that. To get close to what in the Old Testament nobody could get close to. You're invited to experience God on a level that the Old Testament saints wish they could have seen. Not even just experience it, seen it. That is your daily invitation to draw close to that majesty, to draw close to that glory, to draw close to that excellence. God is a God who wants to be experienced. He wants you to experience him. He wants you to encounter him. He wants you to know him. He's not some far away God. No, he's the God who wants to be right there where you are. That's why he says, I inhabit the praises of my people. That's why I said, where two or three are gathered, you in my name, there I am in the midst. That's why the whole plan always was for us to become temples of the living God, where God himself moves in on the inside and rests upon us. He wants to be with you. 
because he desires to have a relationship with you. And through your relationship with him, you get in on everything. Notice what it says next in the scripture. Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these what? Promises. You might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, we just talked about the splendor and the glory and the majesty of God, right? And he's given us, you go through the scripture, how many promises he has made where you are concerned. And the scripture says that by these promises, we can partake of that majestic nature. Another translation says we get in on the life as God has it. Let that sink in. What's available to you is far greater than anything you've ever walked in. And notice, Pastor Carl, I think you like this point. Notice it's by promise, not performance. Because it'll be one thing he says, if you do everything right, then you'll get in on it. If you're a partaker because of the promise. So what happens when a challenge comes in front of you and you don't have naturally what it needs to handle it? You have a promise. And if you stand on that promise, well, pastor, how do I stand on the promise? Father, I thank you that you said this in your word. This is what you said, and I choose to believe it. And because you've given me everything, I receive it. And I expect this situation to turn for my good. By that, you're partaking of the promise. By that, you grab hold to peace. By that, you grab hold to wisdom. By that, you grab hold to the answer. By that, you grab hold to the breakthrough. It's by promise. It reminds me of Abraham, because when we study out dispensations and covenants, we call that the age of promise. That when you look at the life of Abraham, yes, he's the father of faith. He got there eventually. But it was a long process. You read about Abraham, it covers age 74 to 175. And there's a lot of things that 100 years that you better not do, ever do. Don't mm -mm. follow his faith, not a whole bunch of other stuff he did. But what do you look at how in the midst of all of Abraham's specialness, and don't get too hard on Abraham because you got some specialness too, that in the midst of all that, God blessed him. And it wasn't because he did everything right. It was because God made him a promise. And then when Isaac came along, the scripture says in Genesis that Abraham died and God blessed Isaac. Isaac didn't do anything to get blessed. He was just blessed because of how he was born. And then God spoke to Isaac and said, I'm going to do all these things for you because your father kept my covenant. He said that to Isaac multiple times through his life. But no, Isaac, it has nothing to do with you. I'm going to bless you because of an agreement I made with your father. Because of the promise I gave him, I got you. By promise. Jacob, when you study out Jacob and his kids' life, Jacob and at least 10 to 11 of his kids, they were interesting. And yet God kept blessing them in the midst of them being interesting. Why? The promise. 
Some of you, you've lived some interesting lives. Yet you have a testimony of God's faithfulness because of his promise that he made to Jesus. And so let me talk to you, and I say this with the love of God, to those of you who are living a hot mess, whether you're in this room or online. You're living a hot mess, yet you're still blessed. That is a low level of living. You have settled for the lowest level available to you in Christianity. And as long as you keep going up the hot mess standard, that's all you'll get. When there's an invitation before you from the almighty God himself, the almighty God who's glorious, hey, come with me. I got more for you. Will you really settle for living at the bottom when God has called you higher? You've been invited to glory and virtue. And he's given you promises that as you stand on those promises, you are a partaker of the divine nature. Some of you, because of the hot mess standard that you've accepted, you, your Christianity hasn't been what it's ever meant to be. It's like the example I gave last week. You know, summertime is barbecue time. Man, we're ready to enjoy. And if you go to a good barbecue, there's a whole bunch of food on that table. Food that you're going to enjoy, food that you really enjoy, that you're going to have to work off for the next two weeks. But you know you can go hungry sitting at that table. You could even starve sitting at that table. If you don't partake or if you don't eat, you'll be hungry. There's a table before you in the presence of your enemies. But if you don't partake from the table of God, you will stay at the level of hot mess. Do you know some people have hot mess doctrines? Where they believe hot mess is what God's will for their life is? Oh, no, God doesn't move anymore. He doesn't heal anymore. Hot mess. Oh, God made me sick to teach me something. Hot mess. Oh, God doesn't prosper. Hot mess. God wants me to go through this. Hot mess. And yet they believe it. Preach it. Shout about it. Sing about it. You know, there are Christian songs that all it is, it's Christian by name only, but the words are a hot mess. But you like to sing them because you felt something. And it gives justification to your hot mess. And so we create hot mess hymns. And we sing about it, and we feel churchy, we feel religious, and God is looking at you, he's like, what in the world, literally the world, are you singing? Because that is not my will for you. Hot mess. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, this word corruption means destruction. Ruin, decay, moral decay. It's a bringing or being brought into an inferior or worse condition, a destruction or corruption. The promises of God enable you to escape the corruption that is in this world. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at hot mess. I'm going to rename this message hot mess. 
Romans chapter 7. Actually, before we go to Romans chapter 7, let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Because the promises of God enable you to share in his divine nature and escape the ruin that is in this world. The promises of God are powerful, but you must put them into practice and you must stand on them. They need to be coming out your mouth every single day. Because Psalm 91 verse 4 says, he will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. And then you remember 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen. So the glory of God through us. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Notice what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost of the churches in Galatia. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, one of the things you'll realize we'll get into in a moment, that there are two natures within you. You have the nature of God in your spirit because you've been born again. But your flesh, your body, has another nature that you've inherited from Adam. This body wants to do something that your spirit doesn't want you to do. And so Paul is saying, don't use the freedom you have in Christ to satisfy your sinful nature. Now, let's go to Pastor Curtis because I can talk to him about this and the rest of you I won't feel weird. How many people have used grace to find out things they can get away with? Instead of adding extra rules, say, you know, I don't do this because I'm born again and God has a plan for my life, they're trying to find a theological way to allow themselves to do it. Galatians. Just a conversation between me and Pastor Kurt, that's all. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, we talked about that last week. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Once again, how's the Holy Spirit can guide your life? Through relationship. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And so that you don't guess what they are, the Paul by the Holy Ghost is going to say, I'm going to let you know what is sin, no matter what the culture says. No, 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 look, because you, someone thinks, oh, in Bible days, they lived different. No, they didn't. Paul lived in the Roman Empire. And that was a whole lot of hot mess going on. Some are even worse than what goes on today. And so Paul is clarifying because he's writing to a group of people. Some of them were from the Jewish faith and others were Gentiles before they came to know Jesus. And so he's like, I'm going to let you know what your sinful nature is trying to produce. Sexual immorality. We can preach a whole conference on that, but I'll keep moving. Because that doesn't just apply to single people. Some of you married people, too. You need to get off those websites. Put that phone down. Some of you might just need to delete Instagram. You say, well, someone else can use Instagram, but not you, because what you've been doing, keep them going. Impurity. Lustful pleasures. Idolatry. Sorcery. You know what's interesting about this word sorcery? 
It's not talking about Harry Potter. It's talking about who wants to get on high. Like those who like to get high. It's not talking about witchcraft. It's talking about craft. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, or clubs. Talk about why I can't be in close places because of, you know, this COVID-19, 2021 and 22 out there. But yet, as soon as the club opened, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The way you deal with what your sinful nature wants to do is through your relationship with God. And by living in relationship with God, you're able to crucify those desires. So notice the desire is not sin, but the acting upon it is. So that means all of us, while we live this life, will have a desire to do what is wrong. Just because your struggle is different than someone else's struggle doesn't make your struggle better. Hebrews talks about a sin that so easily besets. Everybody has something something that so often seems to trip them up. And it's not something that trips someone else up. So don't compare your struggle to somebody else. Your focus should be taking that struggle and winning. Taking that struggle and overcoming. Taking that desire and crucifying it to the cross of Jesus and not judging someone else because of their struggle. The scripture also says, you know, be careful looking down at someone and judging them because you'll be in the same spot. I would never in a year later, oh, how did I... Romans, Romans, yes, Romans, chapter 7, verse 15. Because that's why Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. Now, he's not telling you not to judge things to see what is righteous and what is not. That scripture by context is talking about unrighteous judgment. What is unrighteous judgment? Judging things based off of what you would do. Based off of how you feel. Because how many know you can feel a whole lot of things in one minute? Especially if you're hungry. Anybody can get hangry in here? Has anybody been advised to keep a snack with you at all times? It helps you walk in love. So think about you people who get hangry real easily. I'll identify with you guys. Think about how many things you can feel in one minute of being hungry. Is that a fair standard of judgment? No, because as soon as you ate something, you're like, oh, everything is right in the world. Your feelings are not a fair standard of judgment. And so when you judge somebody based off of your feeling, it's unrighteous judgment. And what happens, your enemy is very legalistic, and so he'll seek to put you in the same or similar position so that you fall. 
So yes, a lot of people are doing a lot of hot mess things. But you know what? Is it your job to focus on them? Mm-mm. Yes, pray for them. Well, I got to tell them what they're doing is wrong. Did Jesus tell you to tell them that? Remember, we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. He didn't tell you to go outside, put a sign in their face, you're going to hell with gasoline draws on. He did not tell you to say that. That may be the reality, but did he tell you to say that? What did he tell you to say? What did he tell you to do? How did he tell you to reach them? Remember, Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see him do. Remember the woman caught in adultery? So they called her, which is a whole nother thing. That means they trapped her. It's a whole nother message in by itself. And they drug her out from where they called her before Jesus and say, the law says we should kill her. And they brought the stones to do it. They were prepared. It was a trap. And so they're looking at Jesus. What will he do? Because they're trying to get Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He straight up ignores them. It says he just began to write in the dirt. It doesn't tell us what he wrote. He could have been writing a message. He could have been drawing a pretty picture. Who knows what he was doing? The Bible doesn't tell us. And he's ignoring them as these Pharisees are standing there with stones. Can you imagine Jesus ignoring someone? They came to talk to him. He just turned around. And then he eventually looks up and says something. Now, why did he say something? Because his father told him. Not the pressure of the moment. Not because of who asked. Because his father told him to say it. And he says, well, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he went back drawn in the dirt. And then he looks up again. I mean, he's tuned out everybody. And he looks up, looks around, and he says, oh, woman, where are your accusers? She's like, they left. Well, neither do I accuse you of anything. Go and sin no more. Notice how he dealt with it. He did what his father told him to do. A lot of us have taken the world's methods and tried to get people to live holy using the world's methods or trying to get sinners to live holy. You know, you can't wash fish before you catch it. Sinners sin. That's what they do. So don't be shocked by their sin. Can you see, Satan doesn't need a marketing firm because the church does a good job for him. Ooh, did you see what so-and-so did? Did you hear what so-and-so did? Ooh, let's share, let's share, let's share. I can't believe they said that. I can't believe they put that in that movie. I can't believe. Well, I can. They're sinners. That's what they do. But we're so impressed with darkness because that's all we can talk about. When's the last time we've been that impressed by the majesty of God? You know what you're impressed by? What you talk about? You say, "Oh, I'm quiet." Well, what you post about? What you retweet? What your TikTok videos tell you you're impressed by? That is what you're impressed by. Romans chapter seven. And notice this about Jesus. He never once compromised. 
and he could be around sinners without compromising. But do you know what it says? Sinners wanted to be around him. The quote-unquote worst and worst of society, they wanted to be around him. Even Gentiles who had no, who weren't with the 12 wanted to be around Jesus. Even right before he went to the cross, they came to Philip and says, we want to see Jesus. And yet he could be around all of that and not compromise. He didn't make excuse for their sin. He did not justify their sin. Yet sinners wanted to be around him. If sinners don't want to be around you, you're not as much like Jesus as you think you are. Because the love within us is supposed to attract them and pull them in. Well, they don't understand why, but they want to talk to you. They say, well, it just seems like there's a good vibe from you. Yeah, there is a good vibe. His name is God. Let me talk to you about him. And you don't start with all the stuff they're doing. So where do I start? With what Jesus tells you to say. Where do you start? With your testimony. And not the testimony you share with other people who know a whole bunch of scriptures like you do. You know, your opening line talking to someone who's not saved shouldn't be, well, God circumcised my heart. That will scare them and they will run away. Now, yes, that is a scripturally accurate term, but that is not the opening line when you talk to someone who does not know Jesus. It's not the opening line. You should be able to share a testimony, summing up your life of what Jesus did for you in 90 seconds. I said 90 seconds. And offer to pray for them. So well, I don't know if I'm ready to say, well, can I pray for you? And then you pray with them. Now, that is not the time to bust out in tongues. Yes, that is a way you pray, and that's a way you should pray, and you should spend hours every day praying in the Holy Ghost. But when you're talking to people who have no idea what that is, that's not the time to bust out in tongues. Nor is the time to pray the King James English. It's the time to pray, Father, I pray that you would help them. I pray that you strengthen them. I pray that you heal them. I pray that you show them what to do. That's how we win people. That's how we bring people into the kingdom of God. And we're not judging them just because they're doing something that we disagree with. Yes, we disagree with it. We disagree, but we don't dishonor. Because why would people listen to us if we always demonize them? All other people in other religions and in cults and everything else, they're not our enemies. They're who we're after. But if we always demonize who we're after, why would they ever listen to us? We can disagree all day long, and we have scriptural reasons why we disagree. We can say, nope, we don't stand for that. We don't agree with that. We disagree with that because that's what the Bible says. We can tell them there's a better way to live, where there's a way to do that without demonizing the people you're come to reach. What fisherman has stood over the water and says, you evil fish, get into this net? Well, fishermen need bait. There's, a, there's an art to catching the fish. 
and we as Christians have forgotten the art of winning people. Too many of us have believed revival means an election goes a certain way or not. So all the nation is doing right because so-and-so got in the office. The scripture does not say that. It tells you to pray for Caesar, tells you to respect Caesar, but it doesn't tell me the nation is this, that there's an awakening because the right person is office. It does tell you that national leadership does have its consequences. The scripture does tell you that, especially in Proverbs. But the state of the church is not determined by who's in the White House. Because you know what? You can get the best person ever elected, but if the people are a hot mess, we have to renew our minds in so many different areas if we actually expect to reach the people who are outside these doors. Because through this process, prepares you to walk in power. Romans chapter 7, I think, finally, possibly. It could happen. Verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. Remember who's writing this, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. How many think Paul was kind of effective for Jesus? That he was anointed. That he knew Jesus. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Anybody ever been there? If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Then he clarifies. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I don't do it. For the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God after my, according to the inward man or after my inward man. But I see another law in my members or my flesh warring against the law of my mind and bring me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Notice the war is in your mind. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the Apostle Paul talking. Saved Paul. Sanctified Paul. Holy Ghost filled Paul. Blood washed Paul. Paul right in the Bible, Paul. But he answered his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. What is that relationship? How do I deal with myself when I feel crazy? When I feel like doing everything I know I'm not supposed to do, how do I deal with that version of me? Because all of us have that version of ourselves. A day when you just don't care no more. They pushed all the buttons, and it is time for you to show all the parts of yourself that you've been controlling for the last decade or two. That day has arrived. Woe unto anybody who crosses your path today. I heard a man of God say this, well, you've never been cussed out till you've been cussed out by a Christian because they've been holding back for a while. 
How do you handle those days? Your relationship with Jesus. It's an honest relationship. It's Jesus, I need you to help me. Like right now. Because some of the other creation that you've seen, that you made, they're going to have an encounter with me that does not reflect you. Save them from me and save me from myself. Relationship. And growth in that relationship. He goes on and says, so then with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Then he goes to the next chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh. That means you don't live after that lifestyle. I'm not talking about you made mistakes and have done stupid stuff, but this is not your lifestyle. But what is your lifestyle? According to the Spirit. What is this? It's a relationship. Your lifestyle is a relationship. There's no condemnation for you. The enemy will try to condemn you. He will try to accuse you. That's what he is. He's the accuser of the brethren. He will try to remind you of everything you've ever done. But God said, there's no condemnation for you. Because remember, it says Jesus died for your sins, but he was raised for you to be justified. That word justified means declared not guilty. The blood of Jesus says over your life, not guilty. Yes, you've done a whole lot of sin and committed a whole lot of iniquity, but the blood has a voice in the courtroom of heaven, and the blood says, not guilty. Because if you dwell on all the stuff you did in your past, even if your past was right before you walked into this building, if you dwell on that, you'll keep sinning. You'll give into the sinful nature. You'll live after the flesh. You'll produce all those things Galatians 5 told you not to. But if you meditate on the fact that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you meditate on the fact that you've been washed in the blood, and the blood says you are not guilty, when you meditate on that, you'll live a different way. When you realize you've been forgiven, you actually believe that. Every Christian says, oh, yes, I believe in the forgiveness of God. But it hasn't hit you square in your chest yet. That God actually forgave you. That is a financial term. That's like you owed a whole bunch of debt and credit cards. You owed a house. You had cars. You had student loans. And all of a sudden, someone said, I've canceled all your debt. I have forgiven you all your debt. In the eyes of God, you owed a whole bunch of money, millions and millions, billions and billions, trillions and trillions of dollars. There was no way you could pay it off. And God sent Jesus to forgive you of all your debt, to cancel all your debt. So when you stand before him, you owe nothing. That is the forgiveness of the gospel we preach. That's why we preach it to everyone. There is forgiveness for you. There is a canceling of debt. There is deliverance. I don't care what sin you're in and how far you are. The blood of Jesus washes away all sin. That is what we stand for. That is what we preach. That's why we don't demonize the people we're after because we believe the blood is enough. That's why we do what we do, because the blood is enough. We actually believe we've been forgiven of everything. So we forgive others because he forgave us. We treat others different because we know what Jesus has done for us. Now, when we stand before God, he's not bringing up all the stuff we've done. Because God said, I'll cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. 
He says, I won't remember it anymore. I'm telling you, Christian, God does not remember what you did. And he's called us to reach the world through the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Restoring friendly relationships between God and the rest of the world. It's us whom God's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. Yeah, what you're doing, yeah, it's wrong. But Jesus has the answer. Yes, what you're doing, that's not the way God wants you to live. God has a better life for you. It's a different mindset. It is the love of God. It's, in, it's choosing to embrace the scripture, not toxic culture. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul's still talking about chapter 7. He says, I'm free of that. Hi, the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus. How do you walk by that law? Through relationship. But let's use an example that makes sense to a lot of us. We're all familiar with the law of gravity, right? What goes up must come down. You know, Minister Jason, you can jump real high. Can you stand up for a second? Can you jump? Did you see God push him back down to the earth? Did y'all see God push him down to the earth? No, did God make him go back down? No, what brought him back down? Thank you. And so there are things that happen in this earth and in our life because it's a law. The wages of sin is what? Death. People say, oh, God did that to them because they weren't living right. No, there are laws in this earth. The law of sin and death is a law in this earth. It's harvest. Things happen in people's lives, families, communities, and nations because of harvest of what they've sown. That is not God doing it to them. This is not the time of wrath. There is a time coming for wrath, but this is not the time. And the scripture says we've been saved from wrath. Thank God. There is a day coming, and you need to get saved before that day hits, gets here. But while we're living on this earth, and there's the results of the law of sin and death all around us. There's another law you can live by. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Think about this. An airplane, as long as it's got fuel, it rises above gravity. The law of lift, the law of propulsion. It's living, it's existing by a higher law. Now, gravity is still there. I mean, no, gravity is still there even when you're flying. But it's, you're living and operating by a higher law. The law of sin and death is everywhere. But when you live in relationship with Jesus and you operate by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, you'll live above. Everything is still around you, but you live above. It's like the time in Egypt when the people of God were in Goshen. Things were all around, but it didn't touch them. It's another way of living that comes through relationship with him. so much to read. I need you guys to read Romans chapter 8 later today. I'm not going to go through it all for the sake of time. There's so many wonderful things in this chapter. Say, Pastor said, read Romans 8 today. So let's skip down to 
porcelain. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who has raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Your body that wants to do the wrong thing, if you walk in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit will give life to your body. Life that combats what the enemy wants to do. Life that combats what your body wants to do. Life that combats sickness and disease and pain and infirmity. Life that combats degenerating diseases, things breaking down in your bones and your flesh and your mind. Life that combats all those things. It's available to you, those who walk in the Spirit, who live in relationship with God. Skip down to verse 19. Because we see again and again in verse 16 that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it goes on, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The whole world is waiting for the revealing of the children of God. And by context, the children of God who are being led by the Spirit of God, those who are walking by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, those who are walking in this level we've talked about this morning. The whole world is waiting to see them. Not just the people of this world, the planet itself is waiting for them. It's waiting for the people of God to stand up. Not stand up and protest or stand up and whatever. But stand up and do what the Holy Ghost has told them to do. To use an old musical example, you know, I've talked to Pastor Kurt enough, I'll talk to Minister Dathan now. You know, there's a song, well, now, wow, a couple decades ago, with a real slim shady. Please stand up. The world is saying, will the real Christian please stand up? Not those who are just Christian by name and know about Jesus, but those who know him and walk in an ever-growing relationship with him. That when they talk about him, he walks in. Those who walk and live in the presence of God. That's what the world is waiting for. Because when you walk in the room, things change. They were high, but that high is left when you walked in. You walk in, they sober up. They don't know what happened. They said, if we drank everything we had, I don't know what happened when you walked into the room. When you walk into the room, all the thoughts that were crowding their mind, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the insecurities left when you walked in. Because it's not just about you walking in, it's who's walking in with you. Why don't you talk about another song, Sorry, give one example. It's the old hymn, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I'm his own. It's a relationship. 
and those who walk at that level in relationship with them and that exchange from God to them, the anointing grows and increases in their life. I think we'll talk about the next week, the power that's available to you if you walk this way, if you live this way. You know, I just heard a story about Catherine Kuhlman recently, and she was a person who walked in relationship with God, was used greatly in the power of God. That in her ministry, in stadiums and arena, people were healed of so many different things. She wouldn't, some people she didn't talk to or prayed for, they just get healed. I remember hearing a story that she left a meeting and the glory of God was still on her, that glory we've all been invited to. And she walked through this kitchen, this restaurant area, and all of a sudden got quiet. Because everybody in that room, Satan center, fell out on the power of God. Just walking in the presence of God. And what was on her fell on everybody in the room. I heard another story recently from someone from that area who was business in the area that said, well, when Catherine Kuhlman lived here, she had to have her own route in the airport. Because if she walked through the terminal, people would fall out. And it would delay our flights. So we gave her her own special route. Talk about walking in a level. Reading about people like John G. Lake and Mariah Wood with Edda who knew him and walk with them, and they would be on a train through a city, and sinners would come out of bars, come to tracks, and pour out that alcohol fall and repent before God. Just walking through. Come on. What witness does your walk have? What weight of glory are you walking in? And when you walk in, things shift. Things change. It's time for all of us to come up. It's time for all of us to go to another level. It's time for all of us to increase in the glory and the weightiness of his glory. Because we've been invited to glory, but one of the things you learn as you walk in a relationship with him, there's more. There's always more. And the glories flip through scripture, there's weight to it. Here's this example, you know. Some of us have been used to lightweight. We've experienced lightweight. And we thought, man, this is all this is, this is good. Man, I had a spiritual goosebump in church. That was great. You know, God used me to talk to somebody. That was good. But there's more. There's so much glory that's available, not just to the preacher, not just to the super missionary, but to everybody who's been born again. We've been invited to glory and virtue, and it comes through relationship. Not trying to be always mentally conscious of making sure you don't sin. But you know, if you hide his word in your heart and you walk in a relationship with him, it'll be a lot easier to live holy. Far easier than having a list of commandments that you're trying to do your mental checklist every day. It's from relationship. It's understanding that the commands he's given you are like safeguard, it's guardrails. That he commands you to do something or not to do something. It's because he loves you. We don't change the commands of God. We don't make excuses for the commands of God. We live the commands of God. Not because we're trying to get God to like us or to love us. We live this way because we know he loves us. And because he's loved us so well, we just want to live a way that makes him happy. It's a different way of thinking about this. It's the way of freedom. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 10, Amplified Classic Edition, the thief comes only in order to steal, 
and kill and destroy. I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. The scripture tells us that God is faithful. The one who promised is faithful. And so many of you are facing different things, many different temptations, things you know God's been dealing with you to stop doing. And as we close, we'll remind you of the scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that is common to man. But God is faithful. Say faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. One of the ways of escape is the promise of God. You might think, well, what I'm facing, no one's faced before. The scripture says what you're facing, everybody's facing some way, form, or fashion. And he said, you're not allowed to be tempted beyond what you can resist. That's a law God put in the earth. The enemy has been limited. He cannot tempt you beyond what you're able to resist. So that means that the temptation shows up, you can handle it. Because with every temptation, God provides a way to escape it. You just have to look for the escape. You have to look for the exit sign. Well, how do I find it? Relationship with him. Through this relationship, we live the supernatural life. One of the things we're going to talk about all summer long, especially in the form of prayer, because prayer fuels the superhuman life. The relationship with him fuels the superhuman life to where you live supernaturally, where you walk in a level that's not common to the rest of humanity, because you're walking with God, and that's available for each and every one of you. Stand to your feet. what's available to you. It's what God has for you. And it's through relationship. We look at everything through the lens of relationship. Everything through the lens of Jesus loves us. Through the lens of what the gospel is actually good news. But we all must respond to it. We must accept the invitation and keep going higher. Keep going higher. Keep going higher. And we keep walking with him, faith to faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. We keep going higher. It's the upward call of God. Like we see in Revelation chapter 4, come up here. Come up higher. Stop settling for low-level Christianity. Stop settling for the bare minimum. Stop settling for the bottom of the barrel. Come up higher. Minister Dathan, come help me. Come up higher. Come up higher. That's what the Spirit of God is telling you today. Come up higher. You may say, well, I'm not at a low level of living. 
Now, you may have be at some higher levels, but there's still more. There's still more for you. There's still more for you. There's a better way to live. There's a higher way to live. God has a good plan for your life, a good future for you. But it's not going to be in your life if you live the way the rest of the world lives, or even if you live with some of the ways you've been living right now. But if you come up higher, if you come up higher, if you just sing, come up higher, come up higher, come up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. Stop settling and come up higher. Stop settling. Come up higher. I have more for you. Come up higher. I have more for you. Come up higher. There's another level for you. Come up higher. There's another level for you. Stop limiting yourself. Come up higher. Stop limiting yourself. Come up higher. Come up higher. Come up higher. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it's strengthening you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the Metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook on YouTube. We'd love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast and then we have our daily devotional podcast which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember something good is going to happen to you today so expect miracles. God bless.